Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Today I'm talking about being suspicious of parachurch organizations and ministries. Where did all these parachurch organizations come from? Why do we need them? Let's explore. While laudatory in many cases, these organizations increasingly draw women away from their home church, infuse them with false doctrine, and then reseed them back to their church to infect it. Well, first, what are parachurch organizations? Wikipedia defines them as Christian faith-based organizations that work outside and across denominations to engage in social welfare and evangelism. Parachurch organizations seek to come alongside the church and specialize in things that individual churches may not be able to specialize in by themselves. Well, Got Questions defines a parachurch ministry this way. The definition of a Christian parachurch ministry is a Christian faith-based organization which carries out its mission, usually independent of church oversight. Some different types of parachurch ministries are, for example, those involved in evangelism, like the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association or Child Evangelism Fellowship. There are discipleship ones like the Navigators or InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Bible dissemination like the Gideons International. Disaster relief like Samaritan's Purse. And others that help medically or with domestic violence shelters and so on. Christian book publishers and Bible translators are also considered a parachurch organization. R.C. Sproul's Ligonier.org is a parachurch organization designed with a primary focus on the theological education of lay people. The pro with some parachurch organizations, such as radio ministries or Bible dissemination or missions, are that the gospel can be introduced in closed countries or places absent of a church. The downside to parachurch organization is, as mentioned before, many of them lack oversight. Some discipleship parachurch organizations even become a substitute for the church. Yet, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.14, that the church is the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. The local church is to teach. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. And in 1 Timothy 4.13 Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Parachurch organizations did not exist 
during the time of the first century church. So the Bible does not mention them. Acts 2.42 outlines principles of the purpose of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So the church is the pillar. Jesus is the cornerstone of it. Our entire focus should be life lived in and around our home church. We read this in this article, Who is Responsible for Training Pastors? Quote, Training pastors is the responsibility of both church leaders as well as churches as a whole. Churches are responsible to support their pastor's work in training men for ministry, give whatever resources they can to train men for ministry, and encourage and equip men themselves, and ultimately to select their own leaders, which implies some kind of responsibility to oversee the training. That was from ninemarks.org, who is responsible for training pastors. The life of a believer should focus on one's own church. It goes without saying that believers should be a member of a church, submitted to elders and faithfully attending. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Each of us possesses a spiritual gift given to us by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of edifying each other within our local body of believers. Staying outside the confines of the church life is a denial of that gift, and it makes a hole in the global tapestry Jesus seeks to weave. Not to mention the practice of and witness to Lord's Supper and Baptism. Our focus for believing lives should be on the local church. And if your church has raised up men to lead Bible studies, great. Or if it has raised up women who disciple, as per Titus 2, super. And if you have activities for children and youth, that's wonderful. But sadly, some women look elsewhere than their own church for fellowship, prayer, or Bible study. They gravitate toward parachurch organizations. Some do so simply because they were invited by a friend, and being curious and with a servant attitude, they follow the friend to the organization to try it out. Those are the organizations to which I took exception in the second paragraph, the ones rife with false doctrine and slyly begin to substitute for the local church. Upon first reading of these parachurch organizations, they sound good. Their aims and goals sound solid. I mean, healing, discipleship, fellowship, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is nothing until you look deeper and you realize these organizations are founded on something other than the word of God. Many of them are based on experiences or half biblical truths or ecumenicalism to the worst degree, where false religions, doctrines are even introduced. Here are some examples of these parachurch ministries to be careful of. First, we have Emmanuel Prayer or the Emmanuel Approach. The Emmanuel Prayer 
is one of these parachurch organizations that is dangerous, in my opinion. It circumvents the Bible entirely and counsels seekers along the lines of past experiences, memories, and emotions. They also mention that they are a, quote, deliverance ministry, unquote, and, quote, a prophetic ministry, unquote. They focus on healing psychological trauma and offer counsel in the form of what amounts to contemplative prayer. The ministry's practitioners focus on the Lord's presence and how you feel about it in order to emotionally heal you. They write that the opening session begins with prayer, and it goes like this. One, recall past experiences of positive connection with the Lord. Two, deliberately appreciate specific aspects of details from these past experiences and refresh perception of the Lord's presence and connection with him in the present. That's a quote. They get involved with demons and deliverance, like binding demons and stating they can be aware of certain demons who may be attacking the counselee or the counselor. They're involved with secular psychology. And overall, it sounds like a very dangerous ministry. The founders of Emmanuel Approach are a husband and wife team. The wife is Charlotte Lehman, who is referred to as Pastor Charlotte. And her duties include preaching at church, that's on their about page, and teaching mixed audiences at retreats. This activity is not scriptural. Emmanuel prayer is based on theophostic counseling, which is not scriptural. There are more links at the blog on more information about this parachurch ministry. If you are in need of counseling, please approach your own pastors or elders for help, either receiving counseling from them or obtaining a referral from them to a solid and biblical organization. Emmanuel approach is rife with false doctrine and it's a dangerous approach to counseling. It will draw you away from your church and worse, from Jesus. The next parachurch ministry I'll take a look at is if gathering. This is a parachurch ministry begun by Jenny Allen in 2014. At that first gathering, she announced that a few years prior, quote, a voice from the sky, unquote, whispered to her to begin this ministry. She even quoted what the voice said, and she took that to mean it was God. That statement alone should be enough to stay away from that parachurch organization. Their foundation is based on the question, if God is real, then what? Which is a question straight from Genesis chapter 3, from the serpent to Eve. Again, if you weren't convinced not to participate in an organization where the founder is deceived enough to think that the voice of God is talking to her directly, 
then participating in an organization founded on doubt should cement it for you. Their about statement is that they exist not only as an annual conference event, but quote, a discipleship ministry focused on putting tools and resources in the hands of women in the church. Through these, IF is able to empower women to reclaim discipleship as God's means to change the world. Well, our duties is not to change the world, and I'm not aware of when discipleship had ever expired to the point where we need to reclaim it through a parachurch ministry. The local church should disciple women, and the local church puts resources in women's hands. That statement indicates that if gathering believes itself to be a substitute for the church. If has a lack of male oversight and is mainly run by women who also develop the study materials. They are all about liberal theology, shaky hermeneutics, usurping lifestyles, and pushing their idol of social justice. Please do not be drawn away into this subculture of female reclamation and empowerment, aka feminism, under the guise of discipleship. There's more information about If Gathering at the blog with links. The next one I want to bring up is Curcio, also known as the Great Banquet, also known as Walk to Emmaus, also known as Tres Dias. Excuse me. <coughs> the aim of the program is to make known to people the love of God and to revive them for service to others as a lifetime priority. All right, well, that's a good thing. However, Curcio's theological grounding is from the Catholic religious system. Its methods use emotional and psychological manipulation to purposely, quote, break you down, unquote, through intensive experiences. It is theology light, and as a parachurch ministry, it tends to separate people from their own church or undermine it, requiring constant reunion meetings and written, quote, service sheets, unquote, to track your cursio efforts. Further, the experience itself deliberately separates wives from husbands who are supposed to participate on different weekends. I am suspicious of any teaching or experience that disallows husbands and wives to be together. Just as I'm suspicious of the passion conference that does not allow parents to accompany their youth. Curcio is labeled a movement and the movement is recognized by the Catholic Holy See as a member of the International Catholic Organizations of the Pontifical Council for the Laity in Rome. Brian V. Jansen wrote a review of Curcio, quote, it's evident that Curcio is not really about theology from the fact that the method is so readily adaptable to very divergent theological perspectives, from Roman Catholicism to Lutheranism, where it's called Via de Cristo, Methodism, 
where it's called Walk to Emmaus. Anglicanism, where it's called Episcopal Curcio. Presbyterianism, where it's called the Great, Great Banquet. And Pentecostalism is called Tres Dias. Unquote. Can one participate in an immersion weekend and emerge unaffected by an all-purpose or watered-down theology, a theology born of Catholicism, no less? No, one cannot. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14, that the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There is more information on Curcio at the blog, where I outline its theology, describe the experience, and ask, should you attend a Curcio weekend? The next parachurch organization I want to review is Community Bible Study. Now, not all parachurch organizations are at locations to which you go, separate from the church, such as if, if gathering in people's homes or a retreat location like Curcio. Some parachurch organizations develop Bible studies which are to be introduced into your church, as well as meeting apart from the church in different homes. One would hope that the Sunday school superintendent or overseer of curricula, preferably the pastor, would vet the materials on which his sheep will be feeding. But sadly, that is not always the case. Community Bible study develops curricula to be used in church or as small group Bible studies to be done in a leader's home. Their about page says their goal is to encourage individual study. Quote, transformation happens as individuals engage with God in his word. Study questions help participants apply the timeless truths of the Bible to their daily lives. Participants gain additional insights and grow in their confidence with God's word as they discuss Bible passages in a safe, small group setting, unquote. Isn't that the job of the church? I've heard from women, and I've read online, Community Bible study quotes and uses material from less than solid female teachers. In fact, this woman said she was introduced to Beth Moore through a CBS study. The leadership newsletter for community Bible study teachers pushes material from Moore, Priscilla Shire, Max Lucado, Bill Hybels, Jim Simbala. Anne Graham Lotz, and other false teachers. This woman wrote online that she enjoys community Bible study, saying, quote, CBS does not take the place of your local church. Instead, through study of the word of God, CBS raises up local members to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Through that discipleship, members often times take what they have learned back to their local church in the form of Sunday school teachers and adult ministry leaders. Well, if that's the case, yes, it does take the place of your church. The training up is to be done within the local church where there's discipleship, oversight, and discipline. 
Al Mohler, the president of the nation's largest seminary, said in 2014, quote, I emphatically believe that the best and most proper place for the education and preparation of pastors is in the local church. We should be ashamed that churches fail miserably in their responsibility to train future pastors. Established pastors should be ashamed if they are not pouring themselves into the lives of young men whom God has called into the teaching and leadership ministry of the church. Unquote from Al Mohler. See also the Acts and the Timothy verses at the start about what a church's mission and activities should be. A friend told me some years ago about one of these parachurch ministries she tried out. It seemed to her that when the participants returned to church after having had this experience, that it was creating a two-tier membership. It felt to her that there was a growing clique of folks who felt superior because they had enjoyed some breakthrough experiences or, quote, had heard from God, unquote. And they pitied the rest of the congregation because they had not enjoyed such exalted experiences. Some parachurch organizations are good and might even be necessary. I'm sure the goals of many of these parachurch ministries don't start out negatively, but the inevitability of an organization that started on a less than solid foundation that lacks oversight will inevitably drift in its mission. And instead of coming alongside a church, as para is defined, it will begin to compete with it. And Hannah Anderson raises an important point specifically regarding female parachurch ministries. She writes, quote, on the other hand, because so many female spiritual leaders are operating in parachurch contexts, their ministries have the potential to lose doctrinal and structural accountability that the established church provides. The digital age may free women from gendered constraints of traditional ministry, but this means they also have the potential to become free agents. Hannah continues, quote, consider how few female evangelical leaders are visibly attached to an institution such as a church or a seminary or a nonprofit that did not grow up around their own personality. If you, if you name a male leader like Rick Warren, you immediately think of Saddleback Church. If you say Beth Moore or Ann Voskamp or Jen Hatmaker, most of us will draw a blank about what local church these women affiliate with. That's not to say they aren't connected, but their local church is not a visible or a central component to their public ministry. Unquote from Hannah Anderson, and she has a point. If you think about the most popular national women's ministries or discipleship organizations, they are led by women who don't seem attached to their own local church. If Gathering from Jenny Allen, Propel Women by Christine Kane, Living Proof by Beth Moore, 
Going Beyond by Priscilla Shire, and more are all female-led ministries and parachurch entities that lack grounding and real oversight. Let's bring this to a close by posing a few questions. Before getting involved in one of these ministries or organizations, ask yourself some questions. One, what is this parachurch ministry offering that I connect with that my church doesn't offer? And is it a sinful lust or a genuine spiritual need? Two, if it's a genuine spiritual need, such as a small group Bible study, have you spoken with your elders about the possibility of them starting one in your own church or you starting one? Three, if your church does offer training up, leadership opportunities, Bible studies, then why am I interested in going outside my church when it's essentially a duplication? Is it because the other one is new and shiny? Is it because I have unresolved social issues with some members in my church or its group leader? And finally, number four, if I truly believe that participating in a certain parachurch ministry is genuine and necessary, have I done my diligence in vetting it? Or have I asked my husband or my pastor to look into it for me to ensure that it has integrity in its doctrine and function? And five, if I decide to participate in a parachurch organization, is there solid and thriving male oversight? And is there a disciplinary mechanism? At the blog, you'll see resources on parachurch ministries, including um, some, an essay titled, Are Parachurch Ministries Evil? Bad and Good Arguments for the Parachurch, Keeping the Para in Parachurch, and finally, Your Parachurch Ministry Isn't the Church. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. Forgive my froggy voice, I've got a cold. I hope you all have a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend. Thank you.